Picture this, you're sitting down to watch a live poetry performance. The first poet takes the stage, and as they begin to read, they're accompanied by a live jazz band. If this sounds intriguing, well, you're in luck. International Jazz Poetry Month returns to Pittsburgh on May 2nd. The festival features more than 50 artists, including local jazz icons and poets from Algeria, Cuba, Sudan, and Ukraine. Tickets to watch online or in person at City of Asylum's home on the north side are free. Get yours at cityofasylum.org before they're gone. Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, if you love spending time outside and you're looking for a new hobby, then citizen science might be the thing for you. From bird watching to listening to frog calls, there are tons of ways to help out researchers from the comfort of your own backyard. CityCast's Megan Harris talked to writer and museum educator Melanie Lynn Gutowski about some cool wildlife-focused projects that you can participate in, even if you've only got 15 minutes. It's Monday, November 6th. I'm Mallory Falk, and here's what Pittsburgh's talking about. Melanie, thank you for joining us on CityCast. Thank you so much for having me. I hear that you can recognize frog calls. Can, can you do any of those noises yourself? I've come up with some mnemonics to kind of help remember what the frog calls sound like. The bullfrog, the American bullfrog, sounds like a lightsaber battle. So it's kind of like, hum, hum. And then there's the green frog, which sounds like a banjo string being plucked. So it's like kind of like, dunk, dunk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And then there's the spring peepers, which are the really easy ones, because they just go peep, 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 (laughs) which is why they're called spring peepers. This is amazing. Um, How did you get started with citizen science projects? Because that is how you learned frog calls. This is just not out of nowhere. Right. (laughs) Well, I've always had an interest in science ever since I was a kid. You know, kind of preteen years, my heroes, and they still are, Diane Fossey and Jane Goodall. And I just, I wanted to be them. And I couldn't learn enough about them and what they studied and all those kind of things. So that's kind of where the interest started. And unfortunately for me, a lot of the adults that were around me when I was growing up had this narrative that well, she loves science, but it's such a shame because she's she'll never be able to do anything with it because she's bad at math. And so oh, come on, it's kind of that's not a true statement at all. But, you know, I think kids take that kind of stuff to of heart. Of course. Yeah. yeah. They they can only dream about what they're aware of. You that's know? right. That's right. So. I kind of like let it go for a while. It didn't mean I wasn't still interested in it, but it wasn't something that I kind of actively pursued. Um, And then 10 years ago when my son was born, it became very apparent when he was about a year old that he just wanted to talk about animals and learn about animals and watch animals and read about animals. And so I thought, well, let's nurture this interest because obviously I was also interested in it. So it kind of was a win-win, you know. So we would go to zoos and natural history museums. And so as he's grown up, I've looked for other ways to kind of nurture that interest. And I found out about Frog Watch, I think, on Facebook. Frog Watch is a citizen science project. Correct. It's called Frog Watch USA. So it's a national project. But here in Pittsburgh, the the project is run by the University of Pittsburgh's Pima Tuning Lab of Ecology. 
and you go to a uh, training session that's, I mean, it's two hours max, I think maybe even at just an hour and a half. Uh, we only have 14 species and subspecies in Pittsburgh, in the Pittsburgh area. So we're, we have a much easier time than the Florida people. There's a lot more frogs in Florida. I, I bet in wetlands. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. So we don't have as many that we have to memorize. But um, I found out that they were accepting children uh, to be trained frog watchers. So I thought, oh, we can do this together. This will be really fun. And it turned out to be the last thing we did before the pandemic. So it was February 2020. <laughs> yeah. But luckily, citizen science is the perfect thing to do during a pandemic because you're supposed to be outside and generally away from people because you're looking for the animals and they typically don't like to be around people as much. So yeah. it, it worked out. How do you define that term, citizen science, um, and what you do with it? Yeah, so citizen science, that's kind of the informal name for it. Scientists call it participatory science. It's basically when you invite the public to participate in scientific projects. So, Is it simple stuff like counting things? I'm thinking of like bird count season. I know that's not the name for it. Exactly. Um, actually, my kind of like, you know, my elevator pitch on it is you can do citizen science as long as you're old enough to count and as long as you have 15 minutes a year to spend doing it. That is a low bar. It is a very low bar, but it's totally true. Um, one of the projects I think you're thinking about is the Great Backyard Bird Count. That's it. Yeah. And it, that's in February. And that one is sponsored by National Audubon Society and the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And that's literally, you can even do it from your kitchen window. You don't even need to be outside. You can watch your bird feeder for 15 minutes and count the birds that come. And you report the number of birds and estimate the number of species that you saw. Mm -hmm. And that's all you have to do. So, I mean, it really is an all ages type of thing. You know, like I said, you just have to be old enough to count. And uh, it's for varying ability levels, too, because you just need the ability to observe. So a lot of observations are visual, but you can also find projects that are more aural observations. So like frog watch, like I mentioned, you're not actually looking to see the frogs. You're trying to hear the frogs. Yeah, which so, is usually the best you can do with a frog. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But some of them are more hands-on. Um, producer Sophia Lowe told me that you recently signed up for a project where you need to catch but not kill spotted lanternflies. How do you do that? <laughs> well, you can't be afraid of creepy crawly things. That's the first thing. Yeah, because they jump really they do. fast. They do jump. And this is kind of, this grosses some people out, but it doesn't really bother me. No, please. I, give, me, give us your technique. Yeah. So I perfected this at Kennywood because we went in early August <laughs> and it, they were overrun with lanternflies. And of course, they land on the handrails. And that's not really a great place to like try to get your foot up there to smush them. So I came up with this method where I would just kind of like cup my hand around it just kind of crunch it just a tiny bit, just enough to like immobilize it. And the good thing is they're not really goopy. So they don't like okay. ooze or anything. And then you just swipe it on the ground and then you can smash it. Okay. So I but think that's the killing method. That is a killing method. But I think it's going to work for me when I have to catch the specimens alive. Okay. Because I can kind of cut my hand around them and then. So what is this project? How so, does it run? Are people still, can people still sign up? Oh, yes, they still can. It's called the Spotted Lanternfly Invasion Archive, which is just a really cool name. <laughs> um, and it's being run by a professor actually at St. Vincent College. A hometown hero. That's right. And right now they're only, it's only open to Allegheny County and Westmoreland County. But they're specifically trying to catch unharmed specimens that we're going to then preserve in alcohol so that they're creating literally an archive that scientists can go back and look at. Something I would be curious about is to know if the spotted lanternflies that are here are 
evolving it in a different way or adapting to life in Western Pennsylvania, which is completely different than Asia, where they're from, and tropical areas. Yeah, so, and they didn't start in the U.S. here. It's kind of been a wave across the eastern U.S. That's right. They they were originally brought here, and we the theory is that they were brought over on pallets made of untreated wood, untreated lumber, and that there were either live lanternflies amongst that wood, or there were egg masses on the wood, which is, I think, a lot of us have seen the pictures of what the egg masses look like. They just look like a mud that is on a surface. They don't look like eggs. So I think people were none the wiser. Luckily, they have changed the laws, and now the lumber has to be treated before it's allowed to be used as pallets. Um, so, you know, squishing the lanternflies is one way that you're helping citizen science. We're trying to control the population. We're within the quarantine zone as established by the Department of Agriculture. So you're you're helping with that effort. And if you're seeing the lanternflies in a new place that you haven't seen them before, you're supposed to also report those numbers. And that um, all qualifies as a citizen science project, too. Yes. Do you like to dance, look at beautiful art, eat gourmet snacks, people watch? Well, mark your calendars for Friday, June 7th for one of my favorite parties in Pittsburgh. It's Mattress Factory's 25th Garden Party. The theme this year is make-believe, and it's all to celebrate and support the creatives in our community. There's going to be live music, an open bar, an art auction, and probably my favorite, the costume contest. Trust me, I will be judging yins and so will everyone else there be playful be imaginative explore your magical realm because this is a theme party you want to come dressed to impress you must be 21 and up to attend and rest assured every dollar raised goes directly towards supporting the museum its art its education and all of its community outreach initiatives get your tickets now to the 25th mattress factory garden party they are in our show notes and online at mattress.org. How so, would you describe who these projects are for? Citizen science is for everybody. It's for everybody of all ages. And so, like I said before, you just have to be old enough to count. And then there are other projects that are a little bit more involved, like um, Firefly Watch is a great one to do with kids because I, I feel like it's a quintessential part of a Western Pennsylvania childhood to go outside at dusk and just see the fireflies, you know, the lightning bugs, as we call them, mm-hmm. just rise out of the, you know, the grass and start blinking. And, um, you know, that's like that classic scene of childhood wonderment. Yeah. <laughs> but that particular project, you kind of start just before the fireflies are ready to come out for the year because in these citizen science projects, and I think in all of science, the lack of data is just as important as the presence of data. So you're trying to track the trends over time. So what we're doing when we're doing citizen science is helping scientists to see these trends long term. So someone might not be looking at your specific one data collection that you did over Fourth of July weekend, you know, in 2023, but it will become part of a data set that can be looked at by, you know, scientists 50, 60 years in the future, and they can look back and say, well, this is where we saw the tipping point in this population or what have you. So that's why these projects are so important. Yeah. 
Are there any coming up this fall or winter or even like maybe early, early spring that folks can, you know, get their ducks in a row and maybe participate in soon? Well, this is one that I'm excited about that I might try for the first time this year that it's it's a little bit more of a commitment because you have to be willing to go out when it might be cold and it might be wet and it's late at night. But it's called Project Owlnet. And it's sponsored by the National Aviary. Their ornithologist runs the program. And you basically go out to the same site um, a couple – it happens, I think, a couple nights a week. And they erect a special bird net that – the owl that they're studying specifically is the northern sawwet owl, which is kind of what – it's the real life version of the cute little owl that everybody draws when they draw an owl, like with the big, <laughs> big eyes and the cute little, like it's got this little face and it's so small. But they're specifically tracking the migration patterns and, you know, breeding success and all those kind of things of the northern saltwet owl. There's also the Christmas Day bird count, which is the oldest citizen science project in the country. And it was started by. Um, and very early Audubon Society official named Frank Chapman, when I interviewed the folks at our local Audubon chapter, they said we've had data from the Christmas bird count in Pittsburgh from 1903. So we've 120 been, years. That's right. And um, the Christmas bird count started in 1900. So we were involved from the earliest days of the project. And it wasn't until more recently that they've kind of opened up more of the project to members of the general public. But it's a very prescribed type of project. You can't just go out in your backyard and count birds and submit it for the Christmas bird count. Those counts are done in a very specific manner. So they're done within a 15-mile radius of a certain point, and it's counted the same way every year to kind of maintain the integrity of the data. So you can sign up to participate with our local Audubon chapter, and they will instruct you what to do. But this one is, is it's kind of less easy to become involved than it is for something like the Great Backyard Bird Count, which is uh, much more chill, I think. <laughs> but it's still worth, you know, if you're interested in, you know, nature and you would like to be outside hiking in the winter anyhow, you might as well participate in one of these projects. What kinds of skills or tools do you maybe need to get started? So if you've never done citizen science before, Like I said, you just need to be able to count. You need to be able to observe either with your eyes or with your ears. And you might need a basic tool or two. The one that's becoming more prevalent is your smartphone because there's a number of apps that you can use. Um, And, you know, for birding type projects, obviously, probably need some binoculars, you know. But in terms of the equipment that's needed, it's fairly minimal, Um, you don't need special equipment. And usually if a project needs specialized equipment, you're actually doing it with a scientist. It's eyes and ears are the biggest tools. And I think that's why scientists really want to engage the public because everybody only has one set of each. And so the more people you get involved, the more of those tools you have to deploy out and around um, the communities and different habitat areas. Well, if any of this interests folks in the Pittsburgh area, um, you have a wonderful article, of course, with Next Pittsburgh that outlines a lot of it. We'll link to that in our show notes. Um, But is there anything else you recommend for folks to get involved with some of these projects, either this season or in upcoming ones? Yeah. So there's a website called SciStarter that has, it's a large database of citizen science projects. 
Um, unfortunately, there isn't kind of one catch-all place for all the citizen science projects. You kind of have to start getting connected with your local nature organizations. Yeah, museums, kind of, things like that. Yes, and also like the Penn State Cooperative Extension, um, organizations like that. So if you're not from the Pittsburgh area, you can find your local Cooperative Extension. You can get connected with your local chapter of Audubon since they're all over the country. Mm-hmm. And you kind of start putting feelers out and you'll start to hear about opportunities um, near you. And of course, as you meet more nature nerds, you'll find out more stuff. That's kind of how it all works. But it's SciStarter.org. So it's S-C-I-Starter.org. And they've got a huge archive of projects that the general public can become involved in at all various levels of ability and, um, and time commitments. Yeah, you can find more of Melanie's work at Next Pittsburgh. Uh, Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and nerdiness with us. (laughs) Thank you. I'm happy to do that anytime. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend, give us five stars, and subscribe to our Hey Pittsburgh newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning on Election Day with more news from around the city. Don't forget to vote. I am part of the Captain Planet generation. So (laughs) to me, I'm being a planeteer and I'm helping science and I'm helping the environment. What color is your ring? Uh, Green, of course. You you all can't see, but my hair is green also. So... (laughs)